is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from a seaside town of Edmonds, Washington. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. I am from Hood River, Oregon. I am Andrew Hoffman. And I am podcasting to you from a machine that has not been soaked in water. Good. Excellent. This machine has not been soaked in water either. Go machines that have not been soaked in water. Woo! <laughs> the usual Revelations Radio News laptop of production, production laptop. It is no more. It got wet. <laughs> so I am doing this one from my wife's laptop here, and hopefully it all goes well. I, I, I did a trial run last night, and uh, hopefully it all works out. But uh all right. One thing led to after another, after another. I mean, we haven't been on the air for a little while. I think two or three weeks ago, we were like both too busy or one of us was too busy. And then last week you said, I can't do it. I don't have power. And I was like, oh, it's too bad. I really wanted to do one. And I got home and I also didn't have power. And then uh, this last week, actually, um, yeah, turns out I got the uh, the Revelations Radio News production device, machine, computer, MacBook, laptop, whatever you want to call it. Just a little bit wet. I mean, not even much. I've gotten it wetter than that. And I, But I, I did dump a little bit of water on the keyboard. So I turned it upside down. I turned it off and took the back off and let it dry out. And uh, I think I may, may have just started it up too early. Last time I didn't touch it for like three days. This time I think I started it up too early. So we'll see. We'll figure it out. But... <laughs> From now on, I will be on the wife's laptop, and hopefully, I think I, I think I got it all situated. I mean, I still got my microphone, I still got the software I needed, um, so hopefully, we can get it all worked out. But I do have good news. This is like my favorite show to do. I don't know why, but it seems like everybody is traveling for Thanksgiving. I think it's always fun to to do a podcast for Thanksgiving. You know, I feel like people have more time to do podcasts for Thanksgiving because they're either like traveling and they can listen or they're like with their family and they need a break. Or It just seems like it's always a kind of a fun show to do. And uh, the good part is, you know, while we've been on hiatus, a, a temporary unplanned hiatus, the world stopped and there really hasn't been any news. <laughs> so we're good. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, and this is our our thank you episode to the people that listen. There you go. And support the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, looks like, I mean, I just wish we had something to talk about, you know. <laughs> it seems like every, nothing's really been happening lately. No jets getting shot down or famous cities under attack. Under attack, as James Evan Pilato pointed out. You know that the propaganda is in full force when they roll out the the graphics something something under attack. Right. They never they never they never for some strange reason, you know, maybe I missed it, but I just I don't remember the Aleppo 
under attack graphic. Do you remember that one? No, and yeah. and why didn't uh, everyone change their Facebook icons to uh, Russian flags after the Russian jet got blown up? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, why didn't they change it to the Libyan flag after uh, the Libyan's country was ruined? Um, I do have to admit, I did go onto the Facebook on someone else's account, and oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I think it's getting worse. Yeah. Uh, it it could be a bit of a shock if you haven't seen it in a while. I haven't seen it in three, two, three years. And, uh, I got on there and, uh, I don't know. A third well, plus, of the, well, the, the, the stuff I ran into was, uh, the icon changed to the French flag. Yeah. Well, plus, Depending on whose account you got on, uh, that skews it as well. Because yeah. I think I probably got less of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And still a lot. And still a lot, yeah, sure. Well, um... And I'm not even saying less than a third, but I'm saying... I mean, depending on who you interact with, because it's also... Um, it's very filtered now. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a, a little bit of a, uh, oh, what was the word? Echo chamber. Yeah. Echo chamber, or like a sandbox where it's just kind of your people and that's it. <laughs> um, so, but the, yeah, the account that I got on was like, woo, French flag all over the place. I mean, even, I mean, it even made its way into the, the football. Did you notice that? Yes. Uh, yep. Was there a Seahawk that ran out with a French no. flag before a game? No. No, but the uh, Texas A&M, Notre no, Dame. The 49ers ran out with the French flag at the C- their game against the Seahawks. Okay, okay. Which is interesting. Wow. And then they changed like the giant wheel in Seattle to... French flag colors and they also changed Century Link Field to French flag colors. Yeah. So um, I would like to point out something that was pointed out in the No Agenda podcast, which is if it's so dangerous in Paris right now, why did every single major news anchor immediately go to Paris? <laughs> and that is true. If you look at the news, like as soon as it happened, they all ended up going to Paris. And well, and that reiterates the. Uh, And I I understand it's a big story, but it's uh, to say that it's a big story because there was a terrorist attack in Paris, but not so big when it's in Russia or Africa. Um, that's actually r- real racism. Hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's our, our the mainstream media actual racism of some lives matter more than others. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying it's not horrific and tragic what happened in Paris. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm just talking about the reaction to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of the reaction to it, my wife and I were discussing going to Paris. <laughs> Probably not a cheaper or a more safe time to go than right now. You should. You should go for the change. Uh, 
Global Warming Summit. <laughs> there you go. I could do an. There you go. I, I could do an on do location a report. report, just like it, I'm making fun that's of. That's a business expense, my friend. All the business anchors for that is a business <laughs> expense. Yeah. So uh, everyone, donate now. Run to your donation buttons, <laughs> and uh, let's fund me going to Paris. <laughs> no, don't do that, folks. But um, tax write off. Yeah. Ta- oh, it's a tax write off. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a. Uh, I don't file this as a business. I don't feel like it's an income, but maybe. No. Well, when I, um, cause I have to, you know, oh, but file I, for the few hundred dollars that I make on books every year. Yeah. Um, but I, when I actually had someone do our taxes cause they were confusing the first year we were married and she's like, Oh yeah. If you go to a conference or whatever, that's all expensible. Nice. Well, I, actually, you did remind me. I still do have a graphic design company. It, it does have. It does in, make some amount of income every year. It's a very, very small amount. But I could probably, if I get a new laptop, I can probably just write it off. So that'd be nice. Yeah, at least uh, you know, get it back down to zero for the income from whatever. <laughs> it, exactly. It'll it'll definitely take it to zero. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, Paris attacks. I feel like he. There's no need to recover this. I mean, I was interested. I, I found it interesting that my wife found out about it, and we don't have TV at the house. So um, it just. And then it was on a day that she was off of work. Yeah, but so. when I got home from work, uh, my wife had heard about it. I hadn't yet. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we both are a little bit more detached from media than most, I think, uh, at least people in our families too. And, and like I said, day off and my wife still, uh, ran into it and, you know, she said she was immediately worried, which I think is, uh, kind of the, uh, the goal. I think it's kind of the, the default emotion that everyone went to. Um, I don't have a lot on this. I'm sure we could read a lot of stories. There's crisis actor people out there. There's, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways to go with it. I just want to make an observation. Okay. Um, two weeks ago, actually, has it been two weeks since the, probably not the Paris attacks. Since it happened? Yeah. Maybe. Or nearing it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's, I think it was two weeks ago. Okay. It was, uh, it was Friday the 13th. It was Friday the 13th. Oh, that's easy enough. Easy to remember. So, 10 days ago. So, today's the 24th. 10 days ago is the 14th. So, 14 days ago. Two weeks. What? What? I'm just, 11 days ago. I'm rambling on. Yes, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, here's my example. Okay. Let's, let's rewind to 14 days ago to the 10th. Okay? Oh, okay. France drops 20 bombs on Syria. What's the reaction? Right. Nothing. Nothing or they're up in arms. Like so the people that are paying attention are up in arms. Uh people that aren't paying attention just, you know, continue to watch. Oh, the the people in France are you referring to or No, I'm I'm talking about here in the United States public public reaction to in France. I'm actually I'm talking about the globally in the world's reaction to France dropping 20 bombs on Syria. I think that those who aren't paying attention wouldn't care. Those who were would be kind of outraged that, you know, here's, here's one of the uh, NATO countries, uh, p- 
piling on in this war effort, right? Uh, three days later, they do that exact thing, drop 20 bombs in Syria, and it makes the front page of every major website. And I have people at work whom I never hear discuss uh, politics or news events say, oh my gosh, did you hear Paris is bombing the crap out of ISIS? It's so awesome. Mm, or France is bombing ISIS. What did I say? Paris. Oh, Paris. Yeah, Par- Paris is bombing ISIS. They are dropping baguettes and espressos on them as we speak. Um, so, no, France. Yes. Uh, and it, interesting, because I think they've participated in bombing campaigns before, like in Libya and what have you. So right. you think it was a bigger... It was hyped up for some reason absolutely i feel like they they got kind of the green light and and all of a sudden everybody's like bomb them we just got to kill these guys and you know it just it was just kind of sickening actually to hear people talk about it like what are we going to do about this and i i I just kind of laugh and said there's really not a lot to do and you know put in perspective it's like a hundred and something people that got killed it's very tragic that they died but it's not going to affect your life and it doesn't it's not a huge deal. And they're like, well, what if it happened here? What if your wife died? And it's just like, uh, you seem to be an intelligent person, but that is a huge logic leap. Um, and, and why do I have to, why am I now in a defense of what I would do to ISIS if right. my wife was killed? I mean, it just, I don't hey, know. <clears throat> well, and what would happen if, if your wife was killed in a, a drone bombing? Yeah. Because that's where the, the uh, resistance comes from in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. You get bombs dropped on family members, and and the other place it comes from. And I think I've uh, let's see, did we cover this? Okay, I think we covered it in the last show. How? Uh, kind of the soldiers firsthand accounts and they were talking about you know it's just some farmer who's being given a year's salary to yes, go out yes we blow did. off rounds at at their convoy as they drive past you know yes we did cover that and that's you've got a lot of of uh poor people a lot of angry people and isis to me just seems like another name for mercenaries I would agree. I think it's all bands of mercenaries and the money's flowing in from Saudi Arabia, um, from the U S from all these different places just to foment, um, foment uprisings and excuses for military intervention and uh, trying to get rid of Assad, which, you know, First he was a good puppet, and now he's <laughs> he's gone the Saddam Hussein route. So I happen to be listening a little bit to um, the NPR, not the NPR guy, the public radio guy, Charlie Rose, and he had uh, Gen- General Petraeus on today, and he said that, you know, uh, clearly Assad cannot be part of the uh, rebuilding effort. You know, this is a problem, and, you know, we want to fund, you know, 
these mercenaries to go in and fight ISIS, but a lot of them are then going in and fighting Assad, and it's not necessarily what we want, but it's kind of a nice benefit because Assad has to go. He's dropping barrel bonds on the people, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this is just another reason to ratchet it up against Syria and against the Assad regime, or as I would put it, the democratically elected government of Syria. Yeah. It's... It's the Obama regime if it's the Assad regime. Mm-hmm. There's not. Uh, do you want to play a report by Ben Swan? Sure. On a related note. It looks like he's back on local television. He's on a CBS, local, a local CBS affiliate now. All right. Which story is this? Uh, reality check proof U.S. government uh, wanted ISIS dot dot dot. Gotcha. Remains fixed on Paris. France is tonight a police state, and there is concern over ISIS infiltrating Syrian refugees. And of course, the big question: How can the world rid itself? of the Islamic State. Now before you listen to one more politician tell you what we need to do, you need to know what politicians knew about ISIS three years ago and the actions they took anyway. This is a reality check you won't see anywhere else. On the military front, our coalition is intensifying our airstrikes, more than 8,000 to date. We're taking out ISIL leaders, commanders, There is no doubt the U.S. and its allies must stop ISIS. After the Paris attacks that left 129 dead, more than 350 people injured, and an entire nation in lockdown, there is no doubt that ISIS has to be stopped. Now, shortly after the Paris attack, ISIS fighters recorded this new video claiming they will soon strike the United States, including Washington, D.C. But look, there's no question that ISIS is a serious threat to people everywhere, especially to people in Iraq and in Syria, who have been decimated by that terror group. In Syria alone, 9 million people have been displaced or fled the country, which makes what I'm about to share with you so infuriating. Well, seven pages of a secret Pentagon document were leaked earlier this year, put online by the organization Judicial Watch. The report is from 2012, and specifically, it explains the dangers of what the U.S. government is doing in Syria at the time. Remember, in 2012, ISIS, as we know them today, did not exist. Page three of those leaked pages state three facts about the situation in Syria. A, internally, events are taking a clear sectarian direction. B, the Salafists, the Muslim Brotherhood, and AQI, or Al-Qaeda in Iraq, are the major forces driving the insurgency in Syria. And C, the West. Gulf countries and Turkey, they support the opposition, while Russia, China, and Iran support the regime. So to be clear, our Department of Defense in 2012 stated that the Russians, Chinese, and Iran were supporting the Assad regime, and that the United States and Gulf partners like Qatar and Saudi Arabia were supporting the opposition to Bashar al-Assad. But the DOD also made it clear that the major forces driving that opposition were the Muslim Brotherhood, al-Qaeda in Iraq, and something called the Salafists. Now stay with me. Because if you don't know the term Salafist, that movement is an ultra-conservative orthodox movement within Sunni Islam. The doctrine is summed up as taking a fundamentalist approach to Islam. Sound familiar? Salafist is the same belief system as Wahhabism, from which ISIS draws their radical, violent, merciless beliefs. So now let's go back to that document. 
Because after reading page 5 in section 8C, the Department of Defense warns this, quote, If the situation unravels, there is a possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. And this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want in order to isolate the Syrian regime, which is considered a strategic depth of Shia expansion in Iraq and Iran. So what you need to know is that according to this leaked DOD report, opposition forces, the United States, the Saudis, Jordan, Qatar, and more, they wanted a Salafist or fundamental Islamic group to take over eastern Syria in order to isolate and overthrow the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad's regime. It was a plan to overthrow Assad, but three years later, Assad is still in power, and now the most violent, radical terror group in the modern world is entrenched in parts of Syria and Iraq while exporting terror to Europe. So here's the real question. Why would we as the American public believe any politician who claims that they have a plan for what to do with ISIS when not one leader has ever acknowledged our role in the creation of that very problem? That's Reality Check. Let's talk about that tonight on Twitter. Wow. That was on public television? Yeah, well, uh, Ben Swan, he was on a Fox affiliate, and then he was kind of on his own. But apparently, that he's he's got a you know a, another local news gig. Hmm, that's good stuff. So, so yeah, he just kind of lays it out there and gets fired, and then he'll go you know do it on the internet for a while. So. Hmm. Well, I mean, I got, I got, I can't, I can't sum it up any better than that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. This is a problem that we created, uh, at, at best through negligence in our foreign policy and at worst literally created. Um, I guess that, yeah, I mean, this is just another iteration of, I mean, Al-Qaeda, it's really, I mean, Wahhabists. It's just another another version with some new branding. There's not really, <laughs> like, oh, I'm joining this terror. Like, they're, and in many cases, I don't even think it's at all about religion for the people actually doing the fighting. It's no, there's mercenaries. I think there are mercenaries too. I feel the same way. The Libya thing. Um, remember I interviewed those people, the same people that, uh, James and interviewed, uh, <laughs> the Christians from Libya. And they said that they, those guys would take off their masks and they were white. Right. You know, so I, yeah, I mean, both, uh, <laughs> both area mercenaries, you know, from that part of the world and literal, you know, Blackwater type mercenaries. Yeah, Blackwater, uh, Chechnyan. I mean, it doesn't. There's no, there's no real limit. I mean, and that goes to one of my stories in the in the folder here. I thought it was at least noteworthy. This is from the Guardian, and this is this came out just after it came out after the Paris attack. Um, so it may have been rewritten since then. Who knows? Uh, we were about 20 meters away when, from the cafe when we heard a firecracker and I looked around to see a man maybe 185 centimeters tall and the position made it clear he was shooting gun attacks and suicide bombs. 
He was standing in a shooting position. He had his right leg forward, and he was standing with his left leg back. He was holding up his left shoulder and a long automatic machine gun, and I saw it had an automatic, uh, had a magazine beneath it. Everything he was wearing was tight, either boots or shoes, and the trousers were tight. The jumper he was wearing was tight, no zippers or collars. Everything was black. If you think what a combat soldier looks like, that is it, just without the webbing. Just a man in a military uniform, black jumper, black trousers, black boots, and a machine gun. Maybe he had a woolly hat. He was left-handed and shooting in bursts of three or four shots. It was fully intentional, professional bursts of three or four shots. He killed three or four individuals who were sitting in the chairs in front of the cafe. We saw them all get shot down. They fell off their chairs onto the ground. He then swiveled through. He then swiveled and shot through a car window. Uh, through a, a car driver's window. We then saw him walk into the cafe, swiveled right, and then swiveled left and opened fire. That's when we dived for cover. We heard about maybe 15 or 20 more shots. Then everything went quiet. We went back after the shooting had stopped, and all three people that were on the front were still lying there. We walked toward the white car that was shot. The driver laid helpless outside the car, and pedestrians had propped him up against the light pole as he was dying. We left the scene, and we walked about 150 meters, and we saw all the police cars, ambulances, and fire trucks coming in. Although our instincts were telling us we should go for safety, we have a very strong sense of community and thought we should go back. To my surprise, we were taken back into the cafe by police, and it was pretty horrific. We could see some people who were either wounded or severely wounded or dead, maybe 10 or a dozen. Paramedics arrived and were tending to people. We saw dead bodies. We saw people, a guy who had been shot in the stomach. It was horrendous. There were blood everywhere. Uh, we took circular stairs up to the first floor of the cafe, and there were more witnesses and more wounded people. The police asked if we heard an escape vehicle or motorcycle. Uh, we had sought cover in a road, which would have been a very good escape route for him, and we were in between cars but saw nothing. We were taken to the police station to give a witness statement. The gunman we saw had not been apprehended. They confirmed that he was that on the way out we asked if he we they confirmed that on the way out we asked if it was safe to walk home they said definitely not there are witnesses everywhere lines of them we were sitting next to people who were in a def different place they were caught underneath dead bodies and had to crawl out there were people on top of them it was terrific for everybody that doesn't sound like a crazy lone g gunman to me no at all <laughs> I, mean, no. I mean not even a little so the because you you kind of have contradictory stories in, in, in many ways. So in one way, it's like, Oh, it's retaliation for the, for France entering the bombing. Okay? Right. Right. However, then there, Oh, it was so sophisticated and so well coordinated and would have taken months of planning and this and that, which, um, does it really take months of planning to go like, Hey, at this time, you set off a bomb over here, and I'm going to shoot some stuff over there. I mean, I'm sorry. It's not that sophisticated. But uh, but we got to stop encryption. Yeah, but we have to, because they must have been uh, communicating through encryption. They were using Snapchat. Yeah. Um, I thought this story was interesting. You don't know what Snapchat is, do you? I do know what Snapchat okay. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I, Should we it, go? It, it's a, it's a program designed oh, to, to give people the illusion that their instant messaging is disappearing afterwards. 
in defense of Snapchat, they did not sell to Facebook. So um, <laughs> I got they got that going for them at least. Should we read three hours of terror moment by moment from the? Uh, I think just just part of it from the New York Times, or should we go to what you were thinking there? Because I was just thinking that well, the paper of record because it is kind of confusing what happened. Yeah, I'm sure their timeline's super accurate, just like uh, 9-11 there. No, I mean, uh, just even knowing what the official timeline is would be helpful. Right. Because I, mean, I, yeah. I honestly, just watching reports and stuff, didn't even know what the official timeline is. I, You know, they're like, we're over here, we're over there. And it's like, unless you have pretty intimate knowledge of Paris, we don't know what you're talking about. But, right. um, I mean... Yeah, for... Um, for a while, the coverage was only on the um, concert shooting, right? Which was the by far the the deadliest. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, but we... they weren't even. And then it was like, oh wait, there's other attacks going on too. But well, let's let's should we go through it real quick? Uh, yes. <laughs> sure. Sorry, I kind of put you on the spot there. No, it's. Let me see if I can get to it. New York Times is always tricky. All right. I'm in. Okay. You want me to read it? If you want, or or I can't, either way. Probably better if you do. All right. Three hours of terror in Paris, moment by moment. Many of the attacks in Friday's coordinated terrorist assault on Paris occurred only minutes apart. More than 120 people were killed and hundreds of others injured. Here's a timeline of the attacks according to Paris prosecutor Francois Molin. Molin? Molins? Do you know how, that, how that's pronounced? I think uh, Molins. Francois Molins? Let's go with that. All right. I took French, but I don't remember any of it. Une, deux, trois, quatre, cinq. Yeah. You can count to five. Yeah. Okay. So uh, 9.20 p.m., Stadium suicide bomb went off. Uh, one person killed. Is that one person killed besides the bomber or one person? Two bodies have discovered at the location that of the bomber and a victim of the explosion. Okay. So if you scroll down just a little bit, it'll tell okay. you each one. Do you want me to, to read the timeline? or? Okay. Oh, there. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it is the same. Okay. So, a suicide bomber detonated an explosive belt near Gate D of the Stade de France, where France and Germany were playing an exhibition soccer match. Two bodies were discovered at the location, that of the bomber and that of a victim of the explosion. Can I interrupt already? The one thing I did notice, so I was at work. We have an English gentleman that works there. And so he was watching soccer, as the rest of the world calls it, football. Excuse me, and you can actually hear the explosion on the football yeah. match that he was watching. And yeah, they showed that the over game, and over on ESPN. And the game then continued. It was kind of weird. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, they um, their justification for it was they didn't want to announce anything and start a panic and have everyone flood out of the stadium. Right. So they, uh, so they made an announcement. Which actually uh, seems to have been the right move, I would say. Yeah. They made an which, but it's amazing with social media and everything else that you know you think word would have spread within like ten minutes. Um, but the guy apparently was trying to get in the stadium. So if he had got in the stadium and blown himself up, definitely would have um, 
killed more people. And the reason he didn't kill more people even outside was probably uh, because most people are already in the game. Right. Uh, also kind of a stupid mistake. If you're trying to get in, you would want to enter at the busiest time when they're doing the least amount of checking. But anyway, because um, you, you've been to football games where they are supposedly checking oh, yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, got to dump out that water bottle, sir. But <laughs> you have to buy your refreshments inside. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. There's no re-entry. <laughs> oh, good. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Just to con me into buying the $5 bottle in here. Yeah. All right. So uh, five minutes later, restaurant shootings. Gunmen in a black vehicle started shooting at people sitting at La Carilla. Kurilian and La Petite Cambodge with Kalashnikov-style assault rifles, killing 15 people and leaving 10 others seriously wounded. I think that's where we just read the uh, account of the person was from that shooting, I believe. No, maybe it's the next one. Okay. Um, let's see. No, I think it was that cafe that we just read. Okay, so five minutes later, second suicide bombing near stadium. Suicide bomber wearing a vest identical to the first one struck near gate H. Two minutes later, restaurant shooting. Gunman in a black vehicle opened fire at the Cafe Bon Bier, killing five people and critically wounding eight. Four minutes later, restaurant shooting. Gunman in a black vehicle fired on people sitting on the terrace of La Belle Equipe, killing 19 people and critically wounding nine others. Four minutes later, suicide bombing at restaurant. Suicide bomber detonated an explosive de- device identical to those of the first two suicide bombers inside the Comptoir Voltaire restaurant, seriously wounding one person. At the same time, shooting at concert hall at the Bataclan, a concert hall with a capacity of 1,500 people, three men attacked a sold-out performance of the Eagles of Death Metal and American Band. You ever listened to Eagles of Death Metal? I have not. Have you? I've heard of them, but I haven't. I'm not familiar with their music. Um, let's see. Around 940, a black Volkswagen uh, Polo parked on the street outside the Bataclan, and three men with assault rifles entered the music club. So it's interesting. I mean, they were able to get right in, apparently. With shouts of Allahu Akbar, the men emerged into the club's two-story ballroom. Prosecutors said their shouts also included references to Iraq and Syria. Subtle. Yes. Uh, The attackers fanned out around the darkened hall, throwing grenades and shooting into the crowd. Musicians fled the stage at the first burst of gunfire. Some people climbed onto the upper boxes of the hall. Others tried to hide from the attackers. Some survivors found exits along the side street. uh, Passage St. Pierre. One woman escaped by dangling from a third-story window. Did you see that video? No, I didn't. You chose not to or just didn't see it? No, I didn't see it. Yeah, there's a video taken from, I guess the guy's a, a journalist of some sort, uh, and he has an apartment uh, on the alley that has the emergency exit from the theater. And he just like couldn't understand what was going on, so he just stuck his camera out the window and started filming. And people are like frantically you know, running out and crawling out. And there's actually a woman, pregnant woman, hanging from the second st- uh, or third story window. 
she like didn't know what to do. So she crawled out the window and then like climbed down and she figured out how to like lower herself halfway down. So she's holding onto the window ledge, but then she has her feet on the, uh, the, the, uh, like a, a window cage below. Okay. And she's just like standing there and I guess she's saying I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And there's people like, you know, streaming out in the alley. It's very, very sad. Um, but, uh, I guess, you know, she, she actually did live. There's a, right after the, the shooting kind of stopped, they had, they showed her getting pulled up and pulled in. That's good. Uh, number five, this, the standoff between the gunmen who had marshaled hostages in front of the stage and police lasted more than two hours. Before the police stormed the club, two attackers exploded their suicide vest while a third attacker's vest was activated by police gunfire. Thirteen minutes later, a third suicide bomb in your stadium. A third explosion occurred about 437 yards from the stadium, and the body of a suicide bomber was found. Seven minutes later, hostages taken at concert hall. Gunmen began rounding up survivors, holding them hostages. Uh, dozens of police officers massed outside. Some people were able to escape. Um, 140 minutes later, police raid concert hall. Okay. So same thing we read already. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, there's salt on the body clone and all three attackers died at least two by blowing themselves up. So when they mm-hmm. were raided, they blew themselves up. Um, and one thing to point out too, is the, all the stuff that happened on the stadium. So explosion number one, and then event, so event number one, which is the first explosion and number three and number eight in order, uh, we're all at the stadium and the stadium is way far away from everything else. Uh, so the first one is at the stadium. The second one's at a restaurant and the third one is back at the stadium. And I feel like that was somewhat coordinated to draw police away from the city center. Right. Yeah. You, um, same general strategy we use with the the U.S. uses with drone bombings. You uh, blow something up, wait till everyone rushes to help them, and then blow them up too. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, and draw them away so to reduce the response time elsewhere, or to increase the amount of time it would take to respond. So. Um, all right, and you know, like saying it's ISIS, there's not really any proof of that. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, it's just like Al Qaeda was. There's no real proof of Al Qaeda. It's just, it's kind of, I don't know. It's just a boogeyman description. Well, thanks for humoring me and and reading that and kind of going through it. I think that it just sometimes gets lost exactly what happens. So that's like the official, I mean, the paper of record, official line of events. Of course, this is the same people that will tell you that uh, 19 guys with uh, box cutters took down the planes on 9-11. But at least we at least have a starting point from what they say happened or what appears to have happened. Um, can better at least understand that now. Um, and then what were you going to say you found was interesting about it? Let's, uh, let's go to uh, White House gave ISIS 45-minute warning before bombing oil tankers. Mm, yeah. This so this is, this is kind of like ISIS, like they're, they're so incredible at social media, which we can talk about that later. 
And they're so rich because they control oil fields, which kind of begs the question, why do you let them control oil fields then? You know, this is not the whole Iraqi army couldn't hold oil fields when we invaded over there. But um, so Russia uh kind of bomb-shamed the United States a bit by dropping way more bombs and doing way more damage than the U.S. has, like, over a period of years. So the U.S. is like, all right, all right, all right, we're going to start bombing too. So, um, however, they were kind enough to drop these little leaflets with a picture of a jet airplane, like a, a bomber, and oil trucks, and an arrow, and it says... Uh, in Arabic, warning, airstrikes are coming, oil trucks will be destroyed. Get away from your oil trucks immediately. Do not risk your life. (laughs) Uh, So this, by the way, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. The leaflet drops are justified under the premise that the oil tanker drivers might be civilians and not ISIS recruits, although it's an explanation that doesn't wash with critics. It's not like these drivers are innocent, uninvolved civilians like children or sick people, writes J.E. Dyer. They're waging ISIS's war, just like the other non-uniform participants who make up 100% of ISIS's ranks. This is how far the Obama administration is going to avoid collateral damage, and who knows, it may be worse. Let me take a brief aside to mention the fact that the Obama administration that's so concerned about collateral damage did just okay blowing up an entire hospital for apparently no other reason than not liking Doctors Without Borders politically. So just keep keep that in mind. Whatever the reason for this warning ISIS thing, it's not uh, humanitarian. Right, because if it had been humanitarian, they would have warned like, hey, guy without legs. Get yourself out of that hospital. We know that you are not are innocent and could be innocent, and we're going to bomb this hospital. And then they admitted later, oh, there wasn't actually anyone firing from the hospital. And they knew it was a hospital, but they still blew it up. So, and, I mean, who follow? just rabbit trail, but who follows those orders? What do you mean? I mean, come on, people. Like, I know, yes, oh. you've got to follow orders, but... Don't blow up a hospital. It's, I don't know. We'll c- cover that more with the, the drone follows, stuff later. Hey, no offense, but I mean, who follows the orders to go into a heavily populated European city and just kill massive amounts of people? Yeah. I mean, th- there's people out there that'll follow those orders. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean... How was 9-11 carried out? Was, yeah, there are people that are, will follow orders. Um, okay, back to this particular story. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip a little bit. Well, it took the U.S. 15 months to even begin targeting ISIS's oil refineries and tankers. Airstrikes by Moscow destroyed more than 1,000 tankers in a period of just five days. In comparison, Colonel Steve Warren said that the U.S. had taken out only 116 tanker trucks, the first strike to target ISIS's lucrative black market oil business, which funds over 50% of the terror group's activities. 
This is uh, so baloney. The fact that they're selling oil to OPEC, it's just whatever. Well, um, oil is not a secret thing. You can't. It's oil's not like the the. I mean, it's well, not like, but but there there has always been a huge black market for oil. Yeah, I mean Saddam Hussein was selling oil like crazy, even while under sanctions, and he wasn't allowed to sell oil. Of course, there's a market for it, but it's just not a secret thing. How do you refine oil quietly in in, in a like in a gorilla location? I just don't get it. I mean, it's well, they're not refining it, but no, no, right. they're just they're just shipping it out, uh, driving big trucks across the desert. Impossible to f- find those, you know. <laughs> It's not like the and the U.S. isn't even really claiming they didn't know they were there. It's just like, oh, okay, I guess we'll start bombing them now, but we'll kind of warn them, warn them first. Can I just say Putin is a genius? Not a good guy. I don't want to say he's a good guy, but he's a genius. I mean, the idea that you just go in and like, okay, I'm going to go do what the Americans say they're doing, and I'm going to bomb that. But, but it really, it's weird. It's like it's this strange war that he's having because he's actually bombing most likely American assets if not american backed assets but they're isis so like we well, can't that's do why anything the, about it that's why mccain is claiming no those are the moderates <laughs> like, yeah uh, victoria uh, newland is saying I, I i made them cookies yeah all right um and an interesting thing at the end of this article um $800 million worth of ISIS oil has been sold in Turkey, a supposed U.S. ally. ISIS trucks are routinely allowed to cross back and forth between the Islamic State stronghold of Raqqa and Turkey, while the NATO country facilitates black market oil sales on behalf of the terror group. As Nafiz Ahmed documents, a large catch um, of intelligence recovered from a raid on an ISIS safe house this summer confirms that direct dealings between Turkish officials and ranking ISIS members are undeniable. So, in Turkey, uh, just shot down a Russian jet, um, which may or may not lead to some escalating tensions as well. And if you read uh, Sabelle Edmonds' book, uh, a large amount of the corruption within the FBI and the government, um, Turkey has had their spies all over the place and um, had a ton of blackmail, <laughs> blackmail working to protect them. So it was, um, uh, you know, she was invited to join basically the group that, uh, worked with worked with Turkey and worked with the um you know kind of these outside of government organizations with lots of government people involved so Turkey's always an interesting player over there absolutely another interesting thing about this is it's being used as Obama's soft on you know he's a closet muslim and the you know the conservatives have run you know wild with this like he he drops leaflets on him before he bombs him he loves him right when it's like no it's just you know it's 
it's kind of a waste of money to pay these guys all these money and give them weapons and then blow them up. But <laughs> I guess that's kind of the point too, you know. Right. They are expendable, but like, hey guys, we tried to warn you. Come on. And then, did you throw this us. video in here from Fox Business that through a complicated banking fraud in Iraq, millions of American taxpayers' dollars are reportedly being funneled to ISIS? Yes. Well, let's play. On, on uh, November 3rd. <laughs> Fox Business, yeah. That was on Fox Business on November 3rd. Yeah, see if the see if the video is still up there. But. A shocking story today, everyone, in the Wall Street Journal. It says, our American dollars may be getting into the hands of ISIS. The money is reportedly getting funneled through Iraq's central bank into Iranian banks and then possibly to terrorists. Now, as a result, the Fed and the Treasury Departments temporarily stopped sending billions of dollars to Iraq. But now they're sending the money again. What should be done, what can be done in this latest chapter, the saga of ISIS getting control over our weapons, now perhaps our money? Emily. <laughs> ISIS has control over our money. We don't have control over our money. No, the it's defense, just like, oh man, how's it getting there? The defense so crazy. department cannot be audited. They cannot account for 70% of their budget. But ISIS now has control of our money. Since when do American, does Fox Business care about where the taxpayer's money is going to? Yeah. Well, the, but... Uh, I believe this whole we're funding ISIS thing um, it was a conspiracy theory at one point, right? I, I think it still is. Still is, yeah. It's still a conspiracy theory. I think theory. it still is to so those who aren't paying attention. Yeah. Um, like, no, no, it's actually provably correct. So, oh, and... Uh, I just noticed the headline on this. Burn gets burned. Burn gets burned. I saw <laughs> that. I saw that. I need to get uh, burnedout.com pointing to Revelations Radio News. We do own it, but I'm just too lazy to, to point oh, it. I, man, should, I, should do, I should do that. Well, and I also was speaking to one uh, James Corbett at an earlier time. And he said that he was looking forward to the Andrew Hoffman words of wisdom, Twitter feed. So <laughs> I should maybe get that one together too. Got, well, my, got my work cut out for me before this Thanksgiving. Season. Yeah. I, d I don't, uh, you've got to remind me like when you, when we talk about whether we're doing a show or not, you need to say, uh, figure out your words of wisdom. Because okay. I never, I never think about it at all till you actually ask me on the show. Well, that's what makes and it amazing. No, that's what no makes it clue. amazing. That's what, that's what makes it so Ugh. good. You're good off the cuff, man. Yeah. Never ask your th three year old if they like their blanket or their daddy better. It's good. <laughs> it's good. There's always more football, Tim. There's always more football. Yeah. This, this is a, a great thing about America. <laughs> There's always more football. <laughs> hey. <laughs> It's all that's left, people. Hey, football. hey, Jarvis, what do I say to these people making fun of my stupid giant earpiece? <laughs> Just doing all your your clips here. Oh, by the way, the clips. I got to get my other machine fixed because I don't even know if there's an intro to this show because I don't know if I can do it. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, we're putting together a show anyway. So uh, did you want to read this burned out story? No, I just just the headlights. The headline's fun. Headline so. is fun. It's burnedout.com. Um, let's see. 
Uh, Chuck Baldwin says the Paris attacks are more than meets the eye. Yeah, that was a good article, but I think I'm ISIS out. You're ISIS out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's go this one. 11. I've got some. Uh, uh, let's see. Did I only have one local story in here? Looks like it. This is kind of interesting. It comes from OregonLive.com. Which is by the Oregonian, the the main uh, paper there in Portland, which by the way is seeking to buy out or seeking twenty five volunteers to uh, be bought out so they don't have to be laid off. That's one way to do it. Yeah, another paper crashing and burning. Uh, I just thought this was kind of an interesting. Uh, Hickville um, police corruption story. So, Oregon's Department of Justice is investigating the chief and lieutenant of a four-member police department in eastern Oregon on a range of allegations, including that the officers failed to properly log evidence, made unjustified traffic stops, and arrest and engaged in unethical behavior. The city of Stanfield placed both uh, Police Chief Brian Zumwalt and his second-in-command, Lieutenant Troy Lamonti, Lamont Monty Toombs, on paid administrative leave Thursday afternoon. Zumwalt faces allegations that he seized a revolver from a motorist but didn't enter it into evidence in connection with the stop, according to a uh, former and a current officer. The chief also allegedly failed to look into serious complaints about tombs that other officers brought to him according to documents obtained by the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Um, and Stanfield is out there by Echo, which I I wasn't aware of Stanfield, but I uh, we would go play high school basketball against Echo. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You would drive, and there would be nothing around for an hour, no lights or anything. Go into a tiny town, and then you walk into the gym, and it's, packed the gills like everyone in town is there for the basketball game so uh anyway sidetrack uh back to this story uh with the with this is like the it's it's more just uh for the humorous element these guys were were characters um let's see with the chief and lieutenant now on leave the umatilla county community of 2,040 people, has just one full-time officer on patrol. One officer was fired in late October. The department also patrols neighboring Echo. Stanfield City Manager West Blair, uh, W. Blair Larson said he's aware of the ongoing State Justice Department investigation. Okay, we're going to... Uh, okay. Earlier this week, Ryan McBride, the officer fired last month, filed the notice of intent to sue the chief in the city claiming he was ousted in retaliation for reporting to the chief alleged unethical and criminal behavior by the lieutenant. McBride alleged in August that Toombs seized at least two marijuana plants during a criminal investigation but failed to properly log the plants into evidence and may have taken the plants for personal use, his notice says. McBride also told the chief that Toombs was approaching married couples in Stanfield and Echo area and soliciting them to engage in sex acts with him and his wife. Says. <laughs> the chief didn't investigate the allegations, but rather terminated Mr. McBride. The remaining Stanfield police Stanfield officer 
Daniel Poffenberger in a written statement provided the Justice Department and obtained by the Oregonian Oregon Live alleged that Toombs was drinking at home and called Poffenberger several times to respond to noise at the home of a neighbor. Toombs demanded that the officer make an arrest, even though the officer said he didn't have any grounds, according to the document. Poffenberger was also called out to a house in Echo earlier this year on a report of a fire burning in the front yard, even though a burn ban was in effect. The subject of the call turned out to be Toombs' home, and he was sitting near the fire but didn't even put it out after learning of the ban. Among other allegations, Toombs unjustly arrested a truck driver on an accusation of indecent exposure. After the driver stopped on the side of the road to relieve himself, um, a state police trooper told Toombs that he didn't have probable cause to make the arrest or search the truck. Toombs had placed McBride on leave in August after McBride, while off-duty, showed up drunk to help an off-duty sheriff's deputy who had driven off the road, according to Poffenberger's written statement. Poffenberger, also off-duty, had come to the scene. McBride was driven by someone else to the scene, as lawyer Sean Riddell said. Months later, McBride was fired. McBride is contesting his dismissal. Okay, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And then a quote from a, you know, you got to get a quote from a local resident. It says, every time we get good police officers, they go somewhere else. Five said, no one wants to stay here. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, but I think the, uh, the moral of the story, they act like, oh, no, what will they do with only one police officer? Well, apparently it's going to be a lot more peaceful because <laughs> apparently everyone causing problems is in the police department. <laughs> Let's see. Less solicitations for uh, orgies. <laughs> yes. Less arrests for peeing less on the side. Less fires in your front yard. Less arrests for peeing well, there's on the a side of the man. road. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Government is good. Yeah. Okay. That's why uh, even a little bit of government is is a risky thing. Isn't and then didn't you put this other one in here? This is kind of related. Federal agents took more money and stuff from Americans in 2014 than burglars did. Oh yes, that's national story. But uh, the headline says it all. In 2014, the federal government confiscated some $4.5 billion from Americans through civil asset forfeiture seizure. Um, That's just amazing. And that's grown. uh, In 2008, it was 1.5 billion. Wow. So it's, so the, uh, the budgets go down and they just take more stuff. Right. And this is, you know, I mean, eventually you get to, that's how it works in Mexico. They don't get paid much at all, but they they get paid by accepting bribes all the time. Although this, this is worse than a bribe. It's like a, <laughs> you don't even get anything for your money. You just get it taken away. Yeah, the burden of proof is on you once it's uh, confiscated. Yeah. And, um... I mean, we've talked about specific cases before. Um, The only suspicious thing you need to uh, have done is have money. Yeah, that's a valid point. You have money? That's suspicious. You probably got it from drug dealing. Mm -hmm. So there was the guy who uh, worked for a campaign for liberty and sold a bunch of T-shirts. 
and had like two thousand dollars. No, no, got to take that away. That's suspicious. So that's that's terrible. which which it kind of plays into two different. Yeah, the cashless society. Cashless society thing too. Cash is bad. You know, only criminals use cash. So. I'm trying to put money into a football pool at work earlier today, and uh, turns out nobody has cash. I'm like, uh, can I borrow five bucks? Anybody got five bucks? Anybody? No, no, I don't <laughs> carry cash. I don't carry cash. It's like, okay, how do I make a bet? No. <laughs> how do I illegally gamble? No, is a football pool illegal gambling? No, it's not illegal. Oh, okay, but either way, uh, so it's just funny though. I mean, everybody, nobody at work carries cash. I don't. I never have cash. Like, Okay. Oh, and I have a story based on this. I totally forgot. I actually, I used Apple Pay. Okay. Uh, so what ended up happening last week? Came home from work. Uh, found out that my entire house had no power. So we laid in silence and and uh, read, and then eventually my wife went to sleep. I couldn't sleep. I've also been battling a cold. That was our that was our excuse two weeks ago. I sounded terrible. I'd actually been mm-hmm. uh, called in sick the day before. Um, so anyway, I'm, I've been battling this cold and I absolutely just needed some, uh, some, uh, what was it? Uh, cough drops or something, something. I needed some, something, something to keep me from coughing. I think I just w- went with a straight up cough suppressant because I was keeping myself and my wife awake because I was coughing. So I get dressed and jump out and, uh, go start the car, get out of there. And uh, realize when I get to the drugstore miles away, because the drugstore near my house also had no power, mm. I did not grab my wallet in the pitch black of my apartment before I left. So I'm like panicking and I look at my phone. I'm like, is there some way I could figure out how to pay with this? And sure enough, I happened to have a credit card app on there that was just to kind of monitor my uh, purchases on the credit card. And it, there was like a button for Apple Pay. So I did it and uh, actually went in and I was like, hey, do you take Apple Pay? Sure enough, they do. And so I go to pay and I just basically put my finger on the little the thumbprint reader on the phone and then hold the phone up to this thing and it dings and that's it. And then it takes the, the money out. It was kind of. I mean, I hate to admit it. It was actually kind of cool. I mean, it, I know it's, I know, you know, to many people out there, I've now, you know, taken the mark of the beast or whatever everybody's going to say. But, uh, one thing no, you've just, you've just, uh, you're just putting the warm ups on for the mark of the beast. <laughs> just putting the warm ups. Practicing. Practicing for the mark of the beast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm dressed. I am coughing up a storm. It's like midnight. The power is out of my house. I'm just, I'm like, can I make a, can I push a bunch of buttons here and get the medicine I need? <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And, uh, I took the receipt and I kept it. And, and what, I went, what you should have done is said, look, the experiment needs to be over. Will you just buy this phone from me with some actual cash? And I'll take some of that cash and pay for this cough medicine. <laughs> <laughs> because the six or eight hundred dollar exchange for some uh, three or four dollar cough syrup is the right move at that time, especially at midnight. I should be trying to sell an iPhone on uh, Highway ninety nine here in uh, Seattle area. That's exactly what I need to do. Speaking of uh, things confiscated by police in suspicious circumstances, anyway, um, I kept my receipt. I then used my actual credit card the next day and kept that receipt, and then went and compared the two. 
One thing that is pretty interesting and that I'm sure that the Apple ID, Apple folks have been touting, and I just kind of obviously very late to this party, the merchant has none of my information. Zero. It just show. I don't even think it showed the last four. It just said purchase with pay uh, and then the amount. Whereas the other, uh, where I actually slid the card, it shows, okay, this was purchased by this person. It's got my full name on there. And it also has uh, the last four on my card. So I don't know. I thought that was uh, at least kind of interesting. I haven't you? Yeah, so now the company will have to pay Apple for that information. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they, if that's the, the scam there. Um, you know, I've done a lot of, they probably just get, um, but see, Apple, you know, like Apple, number of transactions. Apple and, likes getting their information like anybody else, but Apple swears to only use it in house. And I think that's their whole business model. I mean, that's why they charge so much for crap. Um, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever. At least, they claim to keep your stuff a secret, whereas Google's just like, well, whatever. We're just using it. We're showing Here, it. To, we're showing it. To we're, we're gonna bring. We're gonna bring fiber. You just, just have to sign away all privacy forever. We're just using it. And I actually <laughs> did a full invest, like a full kind of on the side investigation of Google versus Apple and their privacy rights. I read both of them and kind of looked through it. And Apple at least claims it. And so if there's a lesser of two evils, uh, as much as I hate to say that, it would tend to be Apple. At least they claim to use, you know, keep your information anonymous. Whereas Google's just like, we're going to anonymize it kind of, except all our apps talk to each other and so on and so forth. So um, my point is, it's interesting. It's a brave new world. The cashless society, probably not far. It was actually super duper convenient. And uh, I don't know. I probably, I don't know if I'll ever use it again. But, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from somebody out there who thinks who has used it or uses it daily and what and what they think about it. Um, you know, yeah, that's that's that. Sorry for the, the rabbit trail there. I just wanted to report something that I had no guilt in exploring because of the situation and uh, was actually kind of pleasantly surprised. Former drone operators said they were horrified by cruelty of assassination program. You threw that in there. Um, does the title say it all? Yeah, you want to wrap it up? Should we wrap it up? That's what I'm doing. Let's wrap it up. Chuck Baldwin. Happy the Paris Thanksgiving, everybody. Chuck Baldwin. The Paris attacks are more than meets the eye. That's going to be on the cutting room floor as well. It's What's a good article? But we kind of we did a lot of that stuff. What's so. inside a flu shot? Formaldehyde and chicken eggs from Wired.com. Kind of an interesting article. Do you think we maybe should save that one or just throw it in the cutting room floor? Oh, sure. I, I haven't read it yet, so save right. it. We'll save that one for next week. And then watch the anti-migrant video going viral. Did you happen to get a chance to watch that? No. I encourage you to press play on that one. It's about 20 okay. minutes long and see how it goes. We'll talk about it maybe next week. Um, they're trying to get a race thing going on. It seems like the plan is just decimate Europe. Have you noticed this? Yes. Economically. Well, and decimate America. And decimate. Um, did you ever watch the movie Children of Men with uh, Clive Owen? Yeah, 
Yes, yes, yes. That's the mo- we watched that and we talked about it on the show. That's the one where there's no more uh, babies past a certain age. No more children like right. that's younger than thirteen or something. But yeah, no one's having children. But there's also the uh, crazy immigration stuff in that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like, yeah. There's been a huge backlash against immigration, and they've built giant walls and. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Which, which, when I watched it, I thought seemed very unrealistic, even in the context of what you know was going on. But I think what they're doing is they are, you know, kind of the pendulum um, action reaction part of the cycle. So they're going to f- flood Europe with migrants, and they're flooding the United States with illegal immigrants as well. And, um, but what they want is the backlash, the police state, the tracking, the, uh, they want people begging to have military on the streets and terrorism and migration is all part of that. Hmm. That's an interesting, interesting point. I might have to go and check that movie out again. I just remember it being extremely dark, uh, but yeah, I mean that's actually really interesting. I should go back and check that out. But we're coming up on one of my favorite holidays. There's football, there's turkey. What are you doing? I'm I'm actually I'm hosting. My in-laws are coming up. We are uh having having Thanksgiving here. Wow. And I am responsible for the turkey. Really? Oh my gosh, can you believe it? No. The weight upon these shoulders. <laughs> It's quite you large. are responsible for the turkey. Okay. That's it. Everybody else cooks everything else. I am responsible for the turkey. I've never made a turkey. I've never even carved a turkey before. So, wish me luck, my good man. Um, what are you? What are you going to do? Are you going to? Are you going to brine it? I I actually uh, I'm scared to to let you know because I feel like it's kind of a rookie maneuver. I don't know if I want to put it all out there. <laughs> you going to fry it? I am not. That would be awesome, though. I did. I did like the idea until I investigated deep fryer and peanut oil and everything. I'm like, I need to do this way far in advance because this is going to be like, I need to do this in the middle of the driveway. And it's going to cost me like a hundred bucks. So I, I need to to reconsider before I do that. Now nah, I think I'm a tur- I'm a, gonna throw it in a bag. You ever heard of that turkey bag? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it that way. But. No, I think that's the way. Uh... We'll be over at um, my mother and father-in-law's place and wife's two sisters and their families will also be there. So Nice. We'll be back in Yakima, Washington. Yakima. Good. Please don't rob my house, people. <laughs> so, everybody. Oh, random, random story. Random story. Uh, walked out my front door to go to work. This was last week, I think, maybe the week before, but definitely since the last time we did a show. And SWAT team walking right towards me. Full-on SWAT team. No. And uh, they, it was... Did you flush the drugs down the toilet? It was uh, three, three doors down from me, same complex. Um... They went in through the windows and everything else. And um, people that live there just 
uh, guy that works at a, I see him working at a grocery store and, you know, his wife or, or a girlfriend or what have you, and the little girl a little older than my daughter. And I've seen them all in other, uh, other locations since then. So no one's in jail, no one's dead. So kind of begs the question to me, why the SWAT team? Hmm. Know what I'm saying? Like, if someone there did something bad enough to justify a SWAT team, they should be in jail. Or, you know. But apparently not. So I I have no idea what the justification for the uh, police state crackdown was. But um, I also heard from other co-workers that there were cops driving around all over the entire neighborhood. It wasn't just right here. So you don't feel close enough to said person to say, "Hey, I noticed a SWAT team broke into your house the other day." Well, well, I said uh, because I, I saw him at the store, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Hey, hey, man, how, how are you doing?" And he, he's like, "Oh, oh, it's uh, okay. I'm doing it a lot better, a lot better." So I'm like, "All right, well, that's good." <laughs> so. I, he was. You could tell he was kind of embarrassed. I think he knows that people sure. noticed that went on, but right, right. So, yeah, it's hard. Wasn't volunteering. Yeah, that's that's whatever. hard. That's hard. So, yeah, I don't have. I mean, it could have been someone that was staying at their place, or I don't, who knows. So, but it just seemed like a bit of an. Uh, I don't know those people well, mm-hmm. but um, find it hard to believe that a couple. Uh, normally uniformed officers couldn't handle it knocking on the door. Seemed like a bit of overkill. Yeah. I've been in your uh, your home before. I'm familiar with your house. Uh, SWAT team in that area this does seem a little bit out of the, the ordinary. Maybe a little yeah. bit overkill. I mean, other than the ISIS flag that flies a couple <laughs> doors down from you, I mean, I could see that being somewhat confusing. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I think that there may be like a, a University of Washington Huskies fan. I mean, that would definitely elicit <laughs> maybe the, uh, the, invade. no, no, there's, there's, there's not too much Huskies. No, no blasphemers. Blasphemer. No, we, it's kind of like a, they don't pay attention to the JV teams here. So <laughs> <laughs> when you beat, when you beat someone 15 years in a row, you just kind of feel sorry for him. Let's go Sooners. That's all I'm saying. Let's go Sooners. Boom. Are you ready for the Sooners inexplicable collapse? Again? <laughs> they, they do it every year. I mean, they already did it by losing to Texas, but yeah, maybe we got two in store for this year though. You never yeah. know. Maybe oh yes. You think yes. so? You think they implode, um, implode against Oklahoma state so they don't get a shot at the playoff? Yeah. Or they they like get in and get matched up with Iowa or someone incredibly easy, you know, just like the yes. easiest matchup you could ever ask for and, and blow lose. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen out there, I do love doing this show. Spend good time with your family. I love the, the, the week of Thanksgiving. I know there's a lot of traveling, a lot of extra time out there. Have a good Thanksgiving. Remember that the people that you live and work with and all that stuff, are the most important and most importantly is your family 
Um, just uh, enjoy your time with them. Uh, eat some some good food. Have an all-American holiday that is not like rooted in any like crazy demonic something or other. I mean, right. you know what I mean? It's just a uh, kind of watch football. It's just um, some made-up history. Just made-up history. Harmless. It's harmless, but you can watch football with your family and uh, just eat eat some decent food. And uh, I encourage you guys to do that. And uh, and guaranteed no terror attacks between now and next Monday. Do you think so? Guaranteed. Why? All the news people are off, man. It's no hype, no propaganda value. Everyone's but I just everyone's watched it, on break. But I just saw a Simpsons episode where they reference the 25th. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Making it all up. Um Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Wish me luck on my turkey. Uh, spend good time with family. Remember to be ambassadors for truth and the gospel out there, especially when with your families. Andrew Hoffman, words of wisdom, Thanksgiving Eve, Eve. Actually, it'd be Thanksgiving Eve by the time this gets out. Uh, don't start your diet till next week. <laughs> No, no cranberry sauce tips or, or words of uh, affirmation. Just a confession. Um, I really like the canned cranberry sauce, like the gelatinous nut with there no actual berries inside. Just the high fructose corn syrup. Still see the shape of the can. It's gonna mention the, the ripples on the side of the can still yes. showing. I love that stuff. You love that stuff. But I, yeah, I, I try to only eat it at, at Thanksgiving. So. Well, good for you. I got nothing. I think that uh, we covered it all. So, uh, yeah, enjoy your family. Be a good example to them of God in the world. And uh, we'll catch you guys some other time. And remember, Terrorist attack most likely does not affect your life at all. There will, I, there will be no terrorist attack guaranteed, and if there is, we'll all go rob Andrew Halfman's house while he's not there. That's right. Call the SWAT team in. Call the SWAT team. They, in. they already know where it's at. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at RevelationsRadioNews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say- As a matter of long-standing policy, the United States does not support political transitions by non-constitutional means. <laughs> political transitions must be democratic, constitutional, peaceful, and legal. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa.
The U.S. has a long-standing practice of not promoting. What did you say? How long-standing is that? I would. 